Welcome back to the Replay Group. My name is Parker Jones, and I am very excited today to talk about opening day, a recap of what took place yesterday, and then also looking at what's going to happen in the next 161 games uh, this season and even into October. Who's going to win awards? Who is going to play in the World Series? So stick with me, and we will recap an incredible opening day all the storylines, and then look ahead at the rest of the season. Opening day is one of my absolute favorite days of the year. Everybody is passionate about their team. The stadiums fill up, and it's unpredictable. You never know what the big storyline is going to be coming out of the day. And one thing that was unique about yesterday is it was the first time since 1968 that every team took the field for the first game of the season on the same day. And so... That just made it all the more merrier. There were a number of unique storylines yesterday, but I'll start with my experience. I got to be at Rangers opening day yesterday uh, against the Philadelphia Phillies. And so uh, I, this is probably the fifth or sixth opening day I've had the opportunity to go to. And it's just always an incredible experience. The stadium was almost sold out. Um, and really the big storyline going into the game is that DeGrom was on the mound. Uh, DeGrom did not have the uh, highly anticipated start that we had hoped for. He had a great first inning, but things fell apart a little bit in the second and third, and then he pitched two outs in the fourth. And the roof was open. We were losing 5-0. to zero. They began to close the roof as rain came in in the fourth inning. And then roof is closed, bottom of the fourth. Rangers scored nine runs in one inning. And the atmosphere was electric. Absolutely incredible. Forced Aaron Nola out of the game. Uh, a couple bats at the bottom of the order were really the deliverers in the in the game, and we ended up scoring 11 uh, total, winning 11-7 to for an opening day victory. First time the Rangers are over 500 uh, in three years, uh, and it's 1-0, top of the division. Bruce Bochy got his first managerial victory as the manager of the Rangers. So really just an incredible game to be uh, at and a part of. Uh, so that was, for me, uh, the most personal storyline, but I think there were some other uh, arguably more important storylines that came from yesterday. One that happened early in the day was Adley Rushman, the uh, new second-year catcher for the Baltimore Orioles, went five for five. First time in history that a catcher had five hits on opening day, and he actually got on base six times. So uh, an incredible start to the season for Rushman. He's on track to be maybe the best catcher in the game uh, in here in the next couple of seasons. So really exciting for Baltimore. They had a great offensive turnout yesterday as well. And an, another event with not so much offense was last night between Oakland and Anaheim. Uh, Otani on the mound, and, you know, this is the classic uh, stereotypical Angels game. Otani pitches an incredible scoreless six innings. 10 strikeouts. Okay, hear me out. According to Sarah Langs, in the history of opening day, pitchers are 25-0 and 0 when they strike out at least 10 and give up zero runs. Uh, yeah, Otani didn't get the win yesterday. Now, obviously, he didn't get the loss. He gave up no runs. But the Angels did blow their one nothing lead. They lost 2-1 to one to Oakland in the most Angels fashion possible. Otani is incredible on the mound, but the Angels cannot get the job done. And I think, and this will come up in my predictions towards the end, I think this 
shines a light on the Angels' bullpen issue is that they might have this issue all season long, just getting the job done, holding on to leads after their pretty solid rotation uh, gives them a chance at victory. It seems like this might be a regular rhythm for them. So a tough start for the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. In other news, uh, a positive thing that I think has come from these rule changes is that yesterday across baseball there were 21 stolen bases on 23 attempts. Last year, among every team's first game, which was not all on the same day, but among every team's first game of the season, there were six stolen bases. So to go from that to 21, obviously uh, the base, the bigger bases are, and, and the disengagement rule uh, for the pitchers is making a difference. I, I think it needs to be understood, though. Like Base stealing hasn't really gotten that much easier. There's just like an incentive to take a risk that you already should have been taking. You know, these 21 bases that were stolen yesterday, it's not like they would have been outs last year because the base path was four inches longer. It's like they just didn't take risks, and now there's this incentive to take risks. And I think that is very good for the game. I think it's healthy. We're returning the game to how it was 15, 20 years ago. And and so – I'm excited to see this play out across the course of the season. There were two stolen bases in the game I was at yesterday. Uh, stolen bases just add an extra level of excitement to the game. Another element of the rule changes is obviously the pitch clock, and I'll get to a negative to that in a second, but a positive to it is that yesterday the average game time was two hours and 45 minutes. Five games went over three hours. Four of those five games were within 10 minutes of going over three hours, so they weren't extensively long. The one game that was over three out the over three and a half hours uh, was the Blue Jays Cardinals nail biter ten to nine game, uh, an understandable uh, game to to go that length. I think the Blue Jays had like nineteen hits or something like that. So there's just constantly runners on base. Um, the Rangers game yesterday there were eighteen runs scored. It was eleven to seven. The game went three hours and four minutes. Last year that's a four hour game, like at least three fifty. So to see such an extensive difference, um, you know, it, on day one, I, I, I think that's good for the game. I think it's especially good for West Coast teams um, because nobody's staying up that late to watch those games out there. And so uh, getting some of these games down closer to the two-and-a-half-hour mark, which was a lot of the games yesterday, there was one game that was like 2-14 or something. So uh, I think that's – Oh, that's short, but it was a you know it was kind of a pitcher's duel. So, I think this is a positive development thus far. Okay, negative news from yesterday. Uh, before the Mets even started playing, Verlander was placed on the IL. He was slated to start uh, today, not yesterday. But Justin Verlander is not going to make his first start yet for the New York Mets. So a big blow to a rotation that otherwise is extensively. Um, Dominant as a way I think we'll be able to describe them throughout the season. So uh, they've got the depth to handle it, but there's some things to work through there. Max Freed is also going on the IL. Now, he did start yesterday, and on a play at first base, he kind of winced. There was clearly some sort of injury taking place, and so Freed is going to the IL. Um, he pulled from the game early. That's a tough one for Atlanta. He's their ace. They've got again. They've got depth in their rotation. Uh, 
you know, two pitching injuries out there in the NL East, which is already pretty injury ridden. You talk about Edwin Diaz, uh, Brandon Nimmo, uh, Reese Hoskins, Bryce Harper, and um, there's just been a number of tough blows for these NL East teams so far. So that seems to continue. Yesterday, another negative thing is that there were 14 pitch clock violations, um, which, you know, that's less than one per game. There were none in the game I was at. There were there were actually quite literally zero, which I think was refreshing because I'd seen a number of uh, things throughout spring training. People made it a very big deal. Um, I think even in the games where they did take place, uh, I'd say other than Rafael Devers striking out on a pitch clock violation, overall, it didn't seem like they, they were really a, a major factor. And they're going to continue to decrease throughout the season. So yesterday, it was already less than one per game. I think we're going to get to a place where it's like most days, there aren't any. Like, it's just rare because there's not – I mean, once you get in a rhythm of of, of the of play with the 15-second clock, it's just going to be normal. So we'll see. I'm hopeful on that end, though. And then the last bad news from yesterday, and this one's actually kind of funny, is there's a video around – uh, social media right now, you can find it. I found it on John Boy Media. Is a proposal gone wrong? This man uh, runs out into left field at the Dodgers game and gets down on a knee, looks up in the stands to propose to his girlfriend. And while he's waiting, I don't know if he's waiting for a response. I don't know how you even see her, her response. She's up in the stands, he's out on the field. He gets absolutely destroyed by a security guard. So definitely go check that video out. It was hilarious. There's two angles from uh, of that happening. One angle includes Lourdes Gurriel Jr. in left field watching the uh, the impact take place, and uh, he is quite shook by how hard the security guard takes down this man. So uh, he should have just propo- proposed uh, like anybody else instead of trying to do something risky. But that those are really the storylines from opening day. I think it was a great day. And now I want to look at some predictions for what we'll see throughout the remainder of the season. Okay, the first thing I want to look at is the awards predictions. Um, so single player predictions. We'll start with MVP. I I think that we're going to see a significant shift in favor of left-handed hitters this year. So I'll say that up front. Despite that, I think Trey Turner is going to win the National League MVP for a couple reasons. One, I think Trey Turner can steal... 45 or 50 bases this season. And on top of that, he's going to hit 30-plus home runs. Now, he had a great WBC, and I think I'd pick Trey Turner even if he didn't have a great WBC. I just like him in that Phillies lineup, in that leadoff role. You know, he may not get 100 RBI leading off, but I think he can hit 30 home runs and, again, steal 50 bags, and with that will come 75 or 80 RBI. And that's just going to make Trey Turner something like an eight and a half, nine war player uh, playing a, an essential position like shortstop. So as long as he stays healthy, I think he is a, a favorite in the National League. But I don't think he's the only one that can do it. I mean, Acuna, if he's healthy all season, he has shown spurts of power um, that are ridiculous compared to most players on the field. And he could do something similar to Turner. I mean, he could hit. 30 to 40 home runs, steal 50 bags also. So we'll see. I think Acuna is a a potential threat uh, in that race as well. Um, Some of his own teammates, I think Austin Riley and Matt Olson, 
also have that potential. Uh, Olsen is benefiting from the shift band for sure, hitting from the left side. And he's not the only one. Juan Soto, you know, Soto still led the lead on base percentage last year, had over 400 OPB or OBP. But Soto had um, a, a much lower season hitting wise. And I think that's going to spike back up. I think we'll see Soto hitting in the 280s again at the very least. And on top of that, leading the league in on-base percentage. So I think Soto's got a chance for sure. And then another lefty is Freddie Freeman. He may just go out and win the batting title. Um, Freeman hits the ball on a line constantly. And I think he is also going to be a menace at the plate, um, benefiting from the shift rules. And then uh, another righty that I, I like for a potential MVP this year is Nolan Arenado. He came third in MVP voting last year behind his own teammate, Goldschmidt and uh, Machado. And this is not to say Goldschmidt or Machado can't do it. It's not to say Goldschmidt can't do it again. But back-to-back MVPs is very rare. It takes something extraordinary. And so I, I, I like his teammate, Arenado, for the award this year. So we'll see what happens with that. In the American League, I don't think you can pick against Shohei Otani for a thousand different reasons. Like, unless somebody has an Aaron Judge type season, as long as Otani is healthy, it's his. So I, I don't think, uh, I think it would be riskier to choose somebody other than Otani than to choose Otani. Like, I, I don't know. It's crazy. Um, but again, I think the shift rules are going to benefit Otani from the left side of the plate. I think they're going to benefit uh, a couple other guys as well, including Jordan Alvarez who hit an absolute tank last night against the White Sox. I think Alvarez has a chance um, because Alvarez is going to hit 40 home runs, and he's just going to drive in 1,000. I don't know. Alvarez does not bring anything really to the table defensively, but he certainly brings it all to the plate. So I think Alvarez could put his name in the hat. Uh, Jose Ramirez is always, I feel like, finishing like third in the MVP race. Jose Ramirez is always uh, putting up incredible, incredible numbers. He's a switch hitter, so from the left side of the plate, I think uh, there's a major benefit for him there as well. And then the the person that was most affected by the shifts last year was Corey Seager. And Seager, it was also his first year in the American League. I think coming in a second year in the AL with no shift, I think you'll see Corey Seager hitting also like Soto. I said earlier, I think you'll see him hitting in the 280s. And Seager's going to drive in, um, you know, Seager can drive in 90 to 100 runs, uh, hitting over 30 home runs. So putting up really powerful numbers for a shortstop, um, which is, adds, you know, a defensive benefit as well. So I think Seager is going to be maybe a surprise candidate that wasn't really in the race last year, but that could be this year. Of course, I'm never going to count out Mike Trout or Aaron Judge after his incredible season last year. I think they're both in there as well as Julio Rodriguez, who was last year's American League MVP. Those were in no particular order other than Otani, who I think is going to win MVP. So that's what I'd say for MVP. And that's the award I have the most to say about. Cy Young, uh, American League, I'm going Shane Bieber, National League, Sandy Alcantara. I think innings matter. uh, And I think uh, the voters decided that last year because there were arguably more talented pitchers in the National League, like Julio Arias. But Julio Arias had nothing compared to Alcantara's 228 innings pitched. So I think Alcantara and Bieber, they stay on the mound. And so if they're putting up numbers that are, you know, in the top five or six 
in each of their respective leagues, just by them staying on the mound for 200 plus innings gives them a massive advantage because they're actually adding so much value to the team by staying in the game. So I like them. Beyond those two in the American League, I like DeGrom, though he had a tough start yesterday. He's obviously uh, talented. He's going to get in the groove of things. I like Framer Valdez, also somebody like Bieber that stays on the mound. Uh, just depends on you know the trajectory of Houston's season, which he has uh, a role in mapping out. And then Dylan Cease had an incredible game last night, struck out 10 Astros on national TV. So I, I like Dylan Cease. Uh, again, he threw like 184 innings last year, I think. So getting a little bit more out of him would probably benefit his candidacy. In the National League, Zach Gallen continually getting better for Arizona. Uh, Corbin Burns obviously won the Cy Young a couple years ago. He's extremely talented. He threw 200 innings last year, so he could be right in that mix. And then Aaron Nola always throwing uh, near the top of the league in innings. Nola also against DeGrom had a tough start yesterday, but I think he'll figure things out. Lastly, rookie of the year, the American League favorite right now is Gunnar Henderson, third baseman, Baltimore. I like uh, Henderson for the award. Uh, everything I've heard about him, haven't got to see him play much. Everything I've heard suggests that he is the favorite. Corbin Carroll is uh, in Arizona, also going to be obviously a rookie this year. Fastest guy in baseball. So again, if he can get out there and steal 60 plus bags, that automatically is going to make him a favorite. Beyond them in the American League, I like Masataki Yoshida, uh, who just came over from Japan, played great in the WBC. And I think it would be, uh, it'll be interesting to see that translate into that Red Sox lineup. And then Anthony Volpe is also a favorite from the Yankees, um, taking on that shortstop role. A lot of Derek Jeter comparisons. We'll see how that plays out in his first year. And lastly, a little bit biased, but Josh Young, uh, J-U-N-G, spelled Jung, but pronounced Young, is taking on the third base role for the Rangers. He is a, a popular favorite as well. Not nearly as high up there as Henderson or Volpe, but his name is in the mix. And then in the National League, Kode Senga is pitching for the New York Mets. And he just came over from Japan like Yoshida. Will be really interesting to see how his skill set translates. And then Jordan Walker. Uh, this guy is apparently going to be absurd. He's huge. That's what I've learned so far. He's huge for the St. Louis Cardinals. Just a big guy. And not the guy you'd expect to be as athletic as he is. Um, I'm excited to see how that plays out for the St. Louis Cardinals. Okay, the last thing I want to look at is team predictions. So very briefly, I will run through who I think is going to win the divisions, make the wild card spots, and then we'll talk World Series. AL West, I think we're going to see much of the same with the Houston Astros taking the division. I hate to say it. It's just facts. Um, I'd like to see in the AL Central, I think the Twins might take that division. I mean, the Guardians won it last year. The Guardians are still very talented, but that division is just very weak. I think it's up for grabs, really. And I think Minnesota has uh, a really good chance to take a leap forward. Chicago's in the mix as well, but man, they've just been a lot like the Angels the last, primarily last year. I just don't have a lot of faith in them. The Blue Jays, I think, are the favorite in the East. I know, obviously, Yankees won the division last year, but the Blue Jays, man, that lineup is just scary. It's just scary. 
I, I, so, and the Blue Jays can pitch too. Yankees have had a couple injuries already early on. Not sure how long that will last for them. So I, I'd like to see uh, the Blue Jays mix it up, win that division, and then the Yankees will still obviously get in as a wild card. I think the Guardians might get a wild card as well. Um, I think the Mariners will definitely get a wild card. So I think you've got a guaranteed spots are Houston, Minnesota, Toronto, New York, and Seattle. That third wild card, I think, goes to Cleveland or Texas or uh, the Angels, most likely. Maybe the Rays. I'm doubting the Rays this year. I know I'm not supposed to, but I am. National League, I think the Padres win the West. Uh, Not to say the Dodgers are bad, but they certainly digressed uh, roster-wise compared to last year. So I'm going to go with the Padres. They only improved while the Dodgers uh, did the opposite. And then in the Central, I like the Cardinals again. I think the Brewers have a chance. It's a weak division, just like the American League Central. But the Cardinals, um, they've got some pitching things to figure out. I'm hoping for their sake that they figure out some kind of trade midseason, get a good arm to help boost their rotation. Their bullpen is, is pretty solid, but that rotation is, it can use some help if they're going to contend. And then the Braves, I think, are consistently the favorite in the East. Um, I think the Phillies and Mets both get in as wild cards, although both of them are suffering some significant injuries right now. The Braves' lineup is just untouchable. And so I think the Braves stick it out, win the East. Again, Phillies, Mets are wild cards. Dodgers are are that third wild card, most likely. I think the Diamondbacks and Brewers, if anybody else is going to have a chance, it's those two. But I think the National League is, is pretty well set with basically the same teams as last year. In the World Series, it's been proven that the best teams don't always make the World Series. I'd like to see the Cardinals get in from the National League. Uh, I think their lineup, like the Braves, I think their lineup is pretty menacing. Um, and it's just fascinating to see Goldschmidt and Arenado really have the chance to show off in ways that they didn't in Colorado and Arizona. So I like the Cardinals to represent the National League in a classic World Series matchup. I think the Yankees get in from the American League for the first time since 2009. I don't normally predict anything in benefit of the Yankees, but it might be good for baseball, honestly, to have a classic matchup like Yankees-Cardinals this year, and then next year we'll see things get mixed up again. But, you know, it's actually, this would be mixing up. It's been a while since the Yankees have been there, but these two teams uh, represent baseball well in a lot of ways. And I think that's where we're headed this year. But, you know, all my predictions are always wrong. So we'll see at the end of the year. Maybe we'll come back and do a recap compared to what I said in this episode. Mm -hmm.